Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us and for being with us and for guiding us all throughout this Sabbath. Lord, you have spoken to us um, through messages, uh, maybe that I've presented, but you've also spoken to us through conversations, through music, through the influence of your Holy Spirit and through your word. And we just thank you for your infinite wisdom and in setting aside this day that we can commune with you, that we can slow down a little bit and uh, maybe hear you a little bit better. Father, I don't know what's on my brothers and sisters' minds. I know what's on my mind. But Lord, I pray that you take any distractions from us. And whatever little piece that you want to teach us today and this afternoon, I pray that we'd be open to it. And I pray that it would stick with us and we would take it in our journey with you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for delighting in answering prayers like this. Because we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, the title of this afternoon's message is when they don't believe. And you know, when, um, I want to tell you a quick funny story. A few years ago, I was preaching a sermon, and I started out with, what comes to your mind when I say the word pilot? And everyone was talking about, you know, airplanes and flights, and I meant the pilot from the Bible. And so we were in completely different wavelengths, and I messed, so I know sometimes as a preacher, you know, my mind is going this way, and I think it's so obvious what I'm going to talk about, and people are thinking it's completely different. So when I'm talking about when they don't believe, I'm not so much talking about when they don't believe in Jesus, uh, when other people don't believe in the gospel. I'm talking about when other people don't believe in you. When people don't believe in you. And, you know, as, um, as Christians, right, we care most what Jesus thinks, of course, amen. And we'll say things like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care. And... We say that, we put it on bumper stickers and things like that. Um, but often our lives betray that we're liars um, and we do care what people think. And so the question then is, is that what your life shows? Does your life match that? And as most of my sermons are, it's really just things that I've learned the hard way that I'm hoping someone else doesn't have to learn the hard way, so I'm just sharing these lessons. Um, and I think we know that we shouldn't care what people think. I was actually here about a year ago, and I preached about Moses being terrified to go and do what God had called him to do. And he was scared people wouldn't believe him. He was scared that he was going to look foolish. And, but sometimes we go beyond that. We get the message from God. We know what we're supposed to do, and we go forward and do it. But then sometimes people's disbelief or unbelief in us makes things scary. So I want to talk about three different ways that this happens, what it looks like, and how God can help us through it. Does it make sense? Yes? Amen. Okay, three silent nodders. Wow, okay. People are quieter in this room. All right. <laughs> the first is when they don't recognize your efforts and sacrifices. When people don't, don't recognize it. Now, first I want to talk about the, the evidence in that we struggle with this. This is what the evidence looks like. When we wear our overwork and trials as badges, and when we need that kind of affirmation that we did something difficult, it looks kind of like this. Let's say I'm talking to my friend Michelle again. Michelle, you're my eternal example. I'm sorry. So let's talk about talking to Michelle. Michelle's like, oh, I was up till like midnight doing work last night. I'm like, yeah, I was up till one. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> and another person's like, yeah, well, I was up to at least like 145. I'm like, well, my work was way harder, so I was, I was really exhausted. But yeah, it's, I'm sorry, you're tired. And that, those kind of conversations happen of who studied the longest or who did the hardest thing. And we can do it kind of in a joking way, but sometimes we're like, no, really, like, I worked harder. 
I'm more holy than you. <laughs> I did more than you. And we need some kind of affirmation for something we did that was difficult. Now, this reveals a lot of things, but one thing that reveals it, is it shows us that we, we're doing hard work for the wrong reason. We're doing hard work to wear it as a badge or to say that I worked harder than someone else. And sometimes, maybe you're not like this, but for those of you maybe who are like me, if you gather all these things to do because you can do them and you want to serve people, you want to serve Christ, but then you have all these things that are way too heavy for you, but people never say good job. And people never say, wow, that looks really hard. Like somebody say it looks hard because it is hard. Someone appreciate my efforts and sacrifice. And when people don't, they're like, oh, it's not that hard. You're like, I must prove to you <laughs> that this is. Um, a few weeks ago, I was still at the school that I, I worked at. And, I, and it was just a completely innocent conversation. I was talking with my friend Katie. And we're both teachers. I'm a high school. I was a high school English teacher. And she was a pre-K teacher. God bless her. And we were spending time together. We had a, a teaching meeting. And she said something about how she was up late preparing lessons. I'm like, I mean, it's pre-K lessons, right? Like. I'm a high school teacher. Obviously, what I do is harder. That's not true. But I, for such, she said about being up late. And I said something to the extent of like, oh, yeah, I was up too. And I said some time later than her. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, why did I feel the need to say that? But it just comes out of my heart where I just want to be known as the person who works harder than other people. I want to be known as the person who accomplishes more. And I want that affirmation. I want people to notice. So when people say things to me that they indicate that, oh, that looks easy. It's like, I have to prove to you in chronological and alphabetical order why you're wrong. You have to know. But that betrays that my heart is in the wrong place. It's a pretend martyr's attitude without a martyr's sacrifice and certainly without a martyr's joy. True martyrs didn't go to the stake saying, hey, everyone notice, I'm about to be burned, please bow down to my holiness. They that never happened. Or look how hard my life is, I'm about to be crucified. Jesus wasn't on his way to the cross saying, please notice how difficult this is, everyone. Please notice how hard I'm working for you all. That wasn't the point of the sacrifice. The point of the sacrifice was the reward of our salvation at the end. And Jesus was willing to do that even though people were literally making fun of him as he did it. Go with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. As I've said before, in any form that you take your Bible, please open that one. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to jump around a little bit, as you can see on the screen, so you can follow along with me there. So Matthew chapter 6, let's start in verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Go with me to verse 15. But if you, oh, wait, verse 15, yes. Sorry, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And go back to verse 5, which is what I meant to write. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In all three of those verses, there's a phrase that Jesus mentions, and it is, don't do this in order to be seen by others. 
He's not saying that things are bad. Prayer, great idea. Fasting, excellent. Works of righteousness, please do them. But your goal should not be in order to be seen by other people. Because if you do, that's your reward. Someone saw you. Great job. That's it. There's no more reward from the Lord because clearly our heart wants a different reward. Our heart just wants to be seen. So remember, your goal is not to impress or to be validated by people. Jesus knows. Jesus always knows. Jesus knows how long you have stayed up to memorize concepts that people will never ask you about. Jesus knows how long you have stayed up with a crying friend who just can't seem to get through another day. Jesus knows the times you have wrestled with scripture, that you have prayed, that you have agonized, that no one on this earth will ever know about. But Jesus knows those things, and that should be enough for our hearts. So sometimes we can care a little bit too much people think we want to wear our overwork and trials as badges. And one last thing is, especially beware this difficulty in the medical world, in the teaching world, and in the volunteering world. Because a lot of times this is a thankless, these are thankless professions right here. <laughs> People don't get thanked very much. And it's often we want to make up for that by almost asking for affirmation. So the second point, the second time, the second way that we sometimes struggle with this is when people don't believe you're following your purpose. This can sometimes be shown as when difficulties, especially with people, make us question what God has already made clear, when lack of affirmation derails us from obedience. Now, last night I talked about how to know God's will for your life. And there are certain ways that God makes that clear to us, maybe big decisions, small decisions, and we know what we're doing. We're super convicted. We were convicted by scripture, by counsel, by whatever it may be. And we go out to do it, and then we told someone about it. They're like, why are you doing that? That's not your gift. You're not really going to do that, are you? Okay. And then our, our confidence starts to crumble. Like, it was so clear. It's, it was so clear when I was with Jesus, but now, now I'm not really sure anymore. And just someone asking the question, are you sure? Are you sure that's what God wants you to do? That itself can derail us from what God has already made clear. Go with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, please. Exodus chapter 5. Moses is my, man, Moses and Joseph are my favorite Bible characters. Uh, so, we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 5, and just to give a little context, so Exodus 3 and 4, that's when Moses has the burning bush experience, where he has all these excuses, and God has all these reasons why he should still follow him. Exodus chapter 5 is when Moses and Aaron finally go before the, the Pharaoh, and they say, let, let my people go, and he's like, no. <laughs> and not only no, but I'm going to make the work for the Israelites way harder, and I'm also going to blame you. Please have a good day. So that's what happens. And then in verse 20, we see what happens after the Israelites realize what happened. Verse 20 starts out with, they met, meaning the Israelites met. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. Verse 21, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord, which is good, 
But <laughs> then he said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses came to Pharaoh. He had 10 different excuses and he had all these reasons. God made everything clear. He showed him miracles. There was leprosy and a snake. Like it was very involved. He made it very, very clear that Moses was supposed to be there. And the first sign of someone saying, man, you messed this up. Moses goes to God, why? Why did you ever send me? You haven't delivered the Israelites at all. But if he would just reflect on this conversation with God, God told him, that Pharaoh wasn't going to let them go. God told him that he was going to have to reach out his mighty hand and show miracles in order to release the Israelites. But Moses wasn't thinking about that. Moses had a vision, but as soon as someone said, "Mm, we don't think you're doing it very well, he lost all of confidence. Let me show you even how foolish this idea is. Go with me to Acts 7.35. It's talking about the same exact story, But this is when Stephen is nearing the very end of his life. And he has this last speech where he recounts the history of the Israelites. And there's so many beautiful insights here. And he gets to the part where he talks about Moses. And I want you to listen very closely to the wording here. So Acts chapter 7, verse 35, it says this. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. The very person that the Israelites rejected as ruler and judge, they're like, that person, not a ruler and judge. God's like, okay, that person, ruler and judge. (laughs) That exact person. An entire nation, like, we don't want that guy. And God's like, I don't care. I want that guy. So there are many times that we might have this this purpose and we might want to do something, we might not do it perfectly. And people can, can come to us and say, nice try, try something else. But God says, no, that is the person that I want right there, right now. And maybe we'll see it as clearly and as gloriously as we can see in Moses' life, or maybe we might not. But our call is not to obey people, even large amounts of people. Our call is to obey God. Now, the last point I want to make on this, though, is it's kind of clear the Israelites had a very sinful frame of mind, right? So they're, they're not really into worshiping God right now. They're very burdened down by slavery, very understandable. They're not thinking very clearly. But there are some times that people can derail us, and it's not on purpose. They're actually thinking of it's, it's for our best. There have been times in my life that I, um, well, I'll just tell you, actually. Let me just, let me just tell you. So after high school, I, um, I went to public university. And I did so because I went to um, a missionary college that taught me to be a missionary in a public university campus. And my parents have thus co- since then come around. But when I first told them, hey, mom and dad, I'm not going to go to an Adventist school. I'm going to go to a public school. <laughs> Oh, man, (laughs) that was not a very fun conversation. Like, we've saved up all these years. 
how are you going to find a husband? Um, that was actually a very big deal. And also, like, we, that's not our plan for you. Like, you're going to become, like, a witch worshiper or something. We don't even know what those people do. You have to go to an Adventist school. But I was, I was very called to do that, not for the sake of going to different universities because they're better, but because I wanted to be a missionary there. And I felt convicted to do that, and my parents thought I'd lost my mind. But I did it anyways. <laughs> because even though they're like, that's not God's purpose for you. Like, well, third selected message is chapter 26, as it is some people's purpose. <laughs> and I believe it's mine. And my dad's like, well, I can't really argue with Ellen White, so okay. <laughs> ended up going, ended up doing ministry, and it was a wonderful time. But that was one of the most difficult decisions of my life because those are my, my spiritual mentors or my parents, right? They prayed for me before I even knew what praying was, before I even knew who God was. But there are sometimes, even when people have the best intentions, it's still not where you're supposed to go. So lest I contradict last night's message about listening to people's counsel, remember always first and foremost that God is the one who knows the, the purpose of your life. Listen to people but ultimately listen to God. So, in all this, remember other people's view of your purpose does not determine your purpose. Only God does that. The last point that I want to talk about this afternoon is when people don't believe that you've changed. When people don't believe that you've changed. This is the evidence that we struggle with this and other people's view of us and if we've changed or not can be shown in seeking to prove yourself, your Christianity, your theology, your growth, or you become defensive or passive-aggressive in response to comments or questions. Now, whether or not you and I have grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, all of us have had a journey. All of us have grown in some way. All of us have changed in some ways. A lot of them good, some not so good. Most of them good. But sometimes people view us in a certain way and it just stays there. And we change and they're like, they just ignore that. And they just continue to treat us in this exact way. Maybe it's a formative relationship, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a friend from when you were little. And they just always interact with you in one way. I'll give you an example, I was at a friend's wedding a few years ago, one of my best friends in the whole world, his name is Rodney. He got married in, who, when was that? 2016, January of 2016. Now Rodney and I went to a missionary college together for nine months. We were very, very close friends. He's as close to, as another brother as I'll ever have. And we interact with each other in a certain way. He had certain struggles at that time, I had certain struggles at that time. We tease each other about things and we just had this kind of a relationship. Then I didn't really see him again until his wedding. So that's 2011, 2012, until 2016. And I went to his wedding. I was spending time with him and his then fiance and other friends. And I noticed there was something off about our interaction. It was just weird. But I was just, you know, I haven't seen him in a long time. So I'm just trying to pick up where we left off. Just teasing the way we do. And he did it too. We're talking. And, but at some point, he pulled me aside. He said, Callie, you know, could you stop treating me like I'm still a kid? like, what are you talking about? It's like, you just, you're still treating me like it's 2012 and it's not. <laughs> what, are, what am I doing? And he, he described basically, he's like, well, you know, I'm still like funny and goofy, but I'm not like that immature anymore. <laughs> like I've grown. <laughs> like, yeah, you, I know you have. And he's like, cool, 
but can you like treat me like I have? And I felt so bad because it, it wasn't intentional at all. But I was like, of course, I'm so sorry. And we adjusted our friendship. Now, not everyone is as fortunate to have as direct and loving people in their life as Rodney Matambo. <laughs> sometimes people just don't like how we interact with them, so they just eventually just kind of leave. Or sometimes we do that to people. We're just, the boxes, I, I do it a lot to, so I have three brothers. I do it a lot to my younger brother. He's, ooh, how old is he now? So I'm 26, he's, I know this, wait, he's 23. I know how old he is. He's 23, he's studying to be a pastor. He's at Andrews in the seminary. Like, what's my little brother? So weird. And so when I see him, I still want to call him, you know, like my little brother. And he's taller than me and much stronger than me. But that's just how I interact with him. And, but I can see how that's disrespectful because he's like a man now. And so I need to interact with him like a man. <laughs> and also my older brother, Brad, whom we grew up, I called him Bradley Adley. That was my nickname for him because I'm adorable. <laughs> and that was my name for him. But recently, he's like, hey, Callie, could you just call me Brad? <laughs> and I didn't call him that all the time, but just when I was trying to feel affectionate. He's like, I just, I have like a job now. I'm like a girlfriend. <laughs> like, it's weird that you call me that. And those small examples are still indicative of a bigger change. Nicknames or how we tease each other or things that we joke around with each other, we don't allow people to change. One more example I'll give just to solidify in your mind. My younger brother, Ben, growing up, the one who's a pastor, he never liked to sing. It just wasn't a thing. He just doesn't, so he'll stand up and sit down for songs, but he doesn't want to sing. That probably stopped when he was like 13 or 14. Now, he sings all the time, and he sings so well. You should listen to my brother sing. He sings so well. Don't tell him I said that. He sings really well, though. But now, when we're like family worship or gatherings, people will tease him still, be like, Ben, are you going to sing? He's like, fine, I, I won't, I guess. And it's boxing him into something that he hasn't been for like 10 years. But sometimes we interact with people like that. But even more, sometimes we do it to ourselves. I don't know if you guys have heard of the concept, um, probably many of you have, especially in the medical profession, uh, the concept of body dysmorphia, especially connected to eating disorders, and it's the concept of seeing yourself differently than you actually are, or fixating on something that you're like, this is so bad about me, and people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, I can't see anything wrong with your body, it's fine. I was talking with a friend recently, and she was telling me how every time she goes to make a purchase, she has a small anxiety attack that she doesn't have enough money in her account. Now, she makes a lot of money. She is very, very well paid. And she manages her money very, very well. But she grew up very, very poor. And so in her head, she has not changed. So even though she has more than enough money in like four different accounts, every time she pays for a pack of gum, she's like, hold on, let me check in my phone to make sure I have enough money. Because her mind hasn't switched over. I was like, you know, it's like you have financial dysmorphia. She's like, oh, it's true. You haven't grown with that. And sometimes we do that to even ourselves. We can have Christian dysmorphia. We were one place and God has taken us somewhere else. We're like, no, I'm pretty sure God still hates me for that thing that happened. He doesn't. He forgave you. Or we hold other people. Like, I know you worship God now. I know, you know you're holy now. I know you like to sing now. But I remember when you were all the way back here. And we try to limit people back to who they used to be. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit others. 
and especially in the context of this message, don't be limited by others. Not everyone, sadly, is going to recognize that you've changed. Not everyone is going to recognize that you've grown. Not everyone is going to be that mature or even just have that kind of sight. But don't let that stop you. Because the most important thing to remember in this is that God knows that we've grown. I mean, he's the one that made the growth happen in the first place. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is he doesn't even treat us how we are. He treats us who we are meant to be. He treats us as who we are growing into be even now. In Acts 9.26, which you can jot down and read a little bit, um, it's, just, it's talking about when Saul was converted, right? Christian killer turns Christian maker, very crazy transformation. In Acts 9.26, it says that he goes to Jerusalem and tries to be with the disciples, but they would not meet with him because they did not believe that he was actually a disciple. Even Paul, the guy who wrote all those New Testament books, people didn't believe that he had changed because his change was so crazy. And so something that should be a reason for us to praise God can sometimes be a stumbling block. A few verses before that, the Jewish leaders are, are trying to kill Saul because he became Paul. That's not okay. They do not want him on their side. So the enemies of Christ believe he's changed, but the ones who are on Christ's side don't believe he has. Sometimes the people that really should be rooting for us the most don't. But that's why many times we need to keep our eyes stayed on Jesus so much more. It's true that we need community, but it's also true that we don't stay in the church. We don't stay in fellowship because people are perfect. We stay here because Jesus is here. We stay here because Jesus uses us here and he teaches us through other people. So don't allow other people's limiting beliefs to limit your belief about yourself. So in summary, when people don't recognize your efforts and sacrifices, remember that Jesus himself sees and hears and knows every last one. When people don't believe that you're following your real purpose, remember that Jesus himself sent you there and that's all that you'll ever need. And when people don't believe that you've changed, remember that Jesus himself has changed you, and he still is, and he still is. Please bow your heads with me one more time. Father in heaven, thank you for being here with us. Thank you again for your Sabbath, and thank you for the God that you are. Lord, I thank you that you created us as social beings, ones who can influence and be influenced by those around us. But Lord, sometimes we're influenced a little bit too much. And we ask for your forgiveness when we have bowed to the opinions of others instead of bowing to the opinion of the one that matters. Lord, I don't know what that looks like in the lives of all who are listening, but you do. And so Father, I pray right now that if there's anything in our life that we need to surrender to you, that we need to ask for your forgiveness for, that we need you to enter into our experience and change because we have no idea how, Lord, we pray that you would do that for us. May we, not forgive the, may we not forget these things and just claim they were clever phrases turned in the afternoon of one Sabbath. But Lord, whatever truth you have brought to our hearts, may it sink into our experience and may it change us. We lay these burdens, these desires, these hopes, and these prayer requests at your feet. 
and we trust that they are safe there because we ask all these things believing and trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.